What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid. So scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid, just walk with your Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I'm your host. Tonight is May 7th, 2013. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi, Gunther, and hi, guests in the chat room. You can call in today, maybe later. We'll have some calling in, 818-475-9211. I'm glad to be back. I took a week off because I was up in Toronto at the Hot Docs, which is an international documentary film festival and it was really fantastic there were a lot of people who i pitched my film to about the documentary that we have been making exposing sexual predation and other crimes in alcoholics anonymous as well as a lot of the other stuff going and uh, it was great to be in a community full of international people and you get to see that aa has not dominated uh, the whole world even though you're made to think that way here in the United States when people talk about AA and they run that list of how many countries is in and how many languages the book has been translated. But honestly, it's not, uh, you know, indoctrinated the cult. I mean, I mean the culture uh, to thinking that it's it's that it's the thing, you know. And uh, but anyway, it was really fantastic, and we'll be in. I will be doing updates. We're going to be building a Kickstarter campaign and we'll be doing crowdfunding, building the community that is on all the blogs, which they are. I'm going to list them all here. So we have exposeaa.org, expaa.org is a very good site. Uh, you have uh, the orange-papers. There's Stinking Thinking. That's still up. Uh, there is my two sites, which is leavingaa.com and stop 13 step in AA. That's another site. And uh, I'll Be Free has a site. We have nadaytona.org is another site. And if I'm leaving anything out uh, and you, you're aware of it in the, in the um, chat room, please let me know. So I have somebody that's going to be calling in any minute. To Her name is Shar. Uh, and Shar uh, is going to call in to 818-475-9211 at any minute. And she's going to talk about what it was like to grow up in a household uh, where somebody joined Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, what happened to them. So if you're new joining me, welcome, welcome, welcome to Safe Recovery. This is a place where... I have uh, used to expose what I found going on in AA while I was still in it, and then my exit out of it, and the uh, interviewing many, many people of the other choices and finding out that AA is not the only way, including free things. So one of the things that I want to just do quickly is name what the six free 
face-to-face and online meetings are, and I guess you would call them programs. There's Smart Recovery, that's abstinence-based. There's SOS, which is Secular Organizations for Sobriety. There's WFS, which is Women for Sobriety. There's LifeRing, and there's uh, HAMS Network, which is HAMS Harm Reduction out of New York. Uh, That's for alcohol. And I think any other kind of harm reduction as well. And then there's moderation.org. There are now live face-to-face meetings of moderation held in Los Angeles on uh, Beverly Drive in Beverly Hills. It's a great little meeting. I've attended it. And uh, we have the caller is now on the line. So there you go. Those are the six free. The other two people that I would highly recommend their books would be Amy Lee Coy from Death Do I Part. Uh, Amy Lee Coy wrote a great book uh, after being in and out of rehab in AA for 20 years. She uh, healed herself and wrote a great book about it. And then there's um, Hank Hayes, who wrote You've Been Lied To. And this is really a fantastic book if you have been in AA. It's called You've Been Lied To, The Untold Truth About Mainstream Alcohol and Addiction Treatment Programs and the Secrets on How to Eliminate the Problem for Good. And with that, we're going to bring Char on the show. Hey there, are you there? Hey, how are you? I'm good, good. How are you? I'm well today. I'm well. Good to Great. hear your voice. What's that? Good to hear your voice. Yes, it's good to hear yours, and I see you in the chat room as well. So uh, I know a lot about your story already, but I would like our listeners to maybe get some background. So uh, at what age were you when your father joined Alcoholics Anonymous? I was six. Wow. That's- um- that's pretty little. Yeah, I was six years old. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a big deal. So you you were aware he was joining AA at six? Um, I was aware that he was. I didn't know that he had an alcohol problem, but I was aware that he was fixing an alcohol problem at six. Hmm. Yeah. He stayed at a uh, um, a place. I I know the name of it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Yeah, you can and say remember- anything you want. Yeah. He stayed at a place called Cabrito House, and I remember visiting him there, and then I remember um, starting to going to meetings then. So my mm. memories of, of, and it's not my first memories of my father, but I remember going to AA meetings because it was very strange as a kid. What part of L.A. did you go? What what part of town? Um, we grew up in, I grew up in Canoga Park, Woodland Hills. Oh, Canoga Park, Wooden Hills. Yeah. Uh, what what year was that? That was seventy two. Mm. Yeah, we found. So some, he. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 sobered up in seventy two. Let me see. Yeah, seventy two because between seventy two and seventy three was the like I remember it vividly. So probably around my birthday, I want to say I'm born in October. Mhm. Mhm. So um you're saying that you don't have memories of your dad being having a drinking problem, you just have a memory of him stopping? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have no I mean I've heard stories, but I have no memory of him having a drinking problem. Mhm. And I'm mm-hmm. the youngest of six kids. So what's the name of the place again? I want to write it down that he went to. It was called the Cabrito House. And it was like a halfway house. It's a place that, and as a child, I was told this is where Dad's going to be, and then when he gets out, he's going to um, he's going to be a better person. Yeah, they had halfway houses back then, and there weren't too many yeah. of them. So now it's really infested with sober living. Yeah. Uh, all right. So tell the story. Was there Alatot back then? Oh yeah, I had to go. The first meeting I ever went to was an adult meeting, and it was, and I lived in kind of an unconventional household anyway. But it was really strange to listen to people um, talk. And I've never belonged to a religion, but almost like be in a confessional circumstance and then have people, have there was camaraderie, there was this feeling of you express yourself and how great that is. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, the first meeting that I ever, adult meeting I ever went to, someone got a cake. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was strange. And then the next meeting, it was with the children of the adults that I saw. Mm-hmm. So, and that was even weirder. That was beyond weird for me because it was talking, the kids were, it was a very organized platform. 
and you got to talk about the things that bothered you about your parents, or and there were some kids that had um, siblings in there, or your sibling, and then you were instructed on how to deal with that. And who was instructing you? Um, an AA member, a sponsor, somebody was, that was a sober, a sobered person that used to be an alcoholic. Were they trained in any? Were they trained? Not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have thought at that age to ask. But it was somebody like the woman that the first like six meetings I remember. She was the spouse of my father's sponsor. Oh wow. Mhm. Mm. So uh, she was actually not the alcoholic. She was the, the wife of the alcoholic. She was an Al-Anon, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to Alateen as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'm going to tell the listeners how we met. So uh, I had I had met Char before because my husband knew uh, your. Um, Significant other, right? And uh, I remember meeting you when I was, you know, kind of vaguely because I was so traumatized by what I was going through, exiting AA. Actually, what was going on when I met you, and I was so disturbed by everything I was learning. I think that's when the Christine Cass murder had happened, and uh, I was really um, kind of shell shocked in a way. Is what I remember. So I was not able to really have, I remember going to a lot of parties even in the industry where I was just uh, blown away by what was going on in my own life. But what happened is that once I left um, and decided to make the film, I had already left or I was leaving or just left. I was at a party where Char was again sitting across from me and she said, oh, hi, what are you up to? And I said, I'm making this movie. And she said, what about? And then I told her what it was about and she was like, oh, my God. And she just like, just started to. Yeah. Uh, it was the first person that Throw I. Up on you. It, yeah, she just <laughs> threw up in such a good way on me, and uh, it, it really let me. Uh, it was the first person I told that was actually very excited that I was making it, and that she was so angry about what had happened to her father. And so, and then you told me a lot of the story. So I'd like you to yeah. tell the listeners. Really, you know, we have you know a good uh, forty forty eight minutes left. Tell me any part wherever you want that. Um, so your father goes to AA, and then what so happens? So he goes to AA. I mean, the the thing is, is that there's this enthusiasm that happens, and as a child, you jump on that. I mean, it, there's something good happening, so you're going to jump on it. And my parents were divorced, so um, we had, as I said, a non-conventional household, and our father was living with us, but they weren't together. So. You know, everybody's all for this. This is a great thing. It's like, as a kid, you're like, yay. And my dad had a lot of encouragement, but he was, uh, I always say it, that he replaced his alcoholism for his sobriety. It became an obsession to be at a meeting. Mm. And that was the entire, I didn't know that my father had a problem until he went to AA, and then it was like everybody had the problem because my dad was in AA. And I don't mean in a good way. I mean, yeah. For me, I was like, well, I have to do this while I have a meeting. Well, I have to go there while I have a meeting. Well, I'm seven years old. I need a ride. I have mm-hmm. a meeting. Mm-hmm. And I had... Wow. Yeah. Well, let me just stop you for a second. Um, people are having trouble hearing you. They're oh, saying let me that... see if I can switch. Let me see if I can switch. Hold on. Okay. Uh, we're going to see if we can fix it. So, is, um... is this better? Oh, my God. It's so much better. Sorry, it, uh, I, I had um I had a headphone on and I didn't think it was working right. Yeah, so no, I apologize. No, 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 that's okay. So okay. wow, so how many? That's much better. If it's better for me, I'm sure I'm going to ask. Uh, is that sound better? Uh, working better now? Okay. So how many meetings did he go to a week? Um, I think in the first couple of years, my father went to two meetings a day. Oh, that's ridiculous. Every day. Wow. Every day. I mean, and it was, he was committed to it. Yeah. How and, was it? Um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, well by, by the time I was like eight or nine, it went down to one a day. And then it was being very involved in, um, I mean, he did whatever his sponsor told him to do. Mm-hmm. So if it was a bad situation and, um, you know, like my brother was having a problem and it was, you got to protect your sobriety, my brother was on his own. It was you got to figure, and I, we heard that a lot. Well, you got to figure that out. You can't, you can't mess with my serenity. You got to figure this out. Oh, as to a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and a 
And uh, yeah, I mean, we were stepping stones. My my oldest brother is only four years older than me. Mm-hmm. So we were uh, stepping stones. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So do you think your father was? You know how there's now that you know as an, an adult that there's more culty meetings than others, like the Pacific Group. And, and there's mm-hmm. spinoffs of the Pacific Group. Was it? Uh, it sounds like it was, but was it a, a more culty group where they kind of yes. told people, boss people around? That sounds like it. Oh the yeah. 70s. Well, because I'll fast forward, and years later, when I mean, I was like 14 when the first time that he ever chippied or fell off or however you say it, mm-hmm. and he was ostracized. I mean, this man was put out into the deepest realms of hell because he drank, mm. and I had gone through pretty formidable formidable years with him as a sober addicted AA person. Right. And when he drank and the way that like his sponsor and the people that he was with in these meetings were, they came over to to my house and I thought he was going to kill himself. Wow. Because it was how could you do this? Look what you've done to all of us. How could you make us feel this way? And how disappointing. And I was just like, wow. Hmm. <laughs> you preach. I mean, because I had gone to Alateen, so... I'm skipping back and forth, but it kind of puts it all together. And Alan, you're told that, you know, even though you weren't the participant of his alcoholism, you have to be fully 100% involved in his sobriety. Wow. So, you know, they teach you as a teenager that that is the most important thing that you have to worry about with your parent is to make sure that you do not cause waves to cause that parent to have to resort to alcoholism because they're, you know, they're one drink away from it. So you have to really mind your P's and Q's, and you have to really not have a difficult time for your father. He's a delicate human being. Oh, he's just a... Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like... uh, And and then, in turn, had I not had, I guess, I don't know, I always say it was like a kiss from God or whatever, where I just went, that sounds like a crock. If it's something that it's that sensitive, shouldn't he be in a hospital? Right, I mean, be a man or a mouse. I mean, what have yeah. Americans become is my latest phrase. You know, it's like oh there's such, gosh. I could use the P word, but uh, I don't know. I, like, I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, really, I was wusses, like, right? I mean, totally And, I, and I was a kid going, you mean that I can't have a bad day because it might make my dad drink, which therefore means that it's my fault that he drank? Wow. Oh, well, no, you're, you're oversimplifying it. This is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so fast forward up to the point that he actually drank and it was nine years later so mm-hmm. you know he did pretty good right they, yeah that's really reduction it would be great so they ostracized him Interesting. oh my god yeah to the to the where well, i just stood back i mean i i was I, i'd never experienced him in my memories as being drunk so here's this man and he was a binge drunker and like i walked in the door we lived together and i was like what who are you i mean mm-hmm. what is this right and you know, he had called his sponsor, and then they called. And back then, you didn't have cell phones. It was mm-hmm. 1980, so you didn't have mm-hmm. cell phones. Mm-hmm. 81 or something. Um, and he calls me up on the phone, and he's like, we're on our way over. And I'm like, who's coming over? And, mm-hmm. like, three people, his sponsor and two other people. I mean, and it's like they sat him down, and it reminded me of what now is known as S, where they just blasted at him. Wow. And he's drunk. So first of all, you're like, you're talking to a drunk person. So what mm-hmm. is that going to do you? And then secondly, if he drank and he's so delicate, which is what I've been told, what are you doing? Right, right. If a six-year-old <laughs> has to like tiptoe around her father, what the fuck are you doing screaming at him? Exactly. I was like, wait a minute. They're like, you don't understand. I'm like, wait a minute. I have lived with Bill W. in my living room, in my bathroom, in my bedroom my whole life. I've had to live with AA, and you're telling me I don't know what I'm doing? Mm. Something happened to trigger this. He wanted to drink, and that's what he did. Right. And I'm like, okay. okay. So what happens next? He's there over there screaming. What what begins to unfold? They walked away. They walked mm-hmm. away. They were like, you're going to have to figure it out. And they walked away, and I was like, so you're going to keep him in. And I called AA a cult my whole life. I'm like, you're going to keep him in your cult as long as he does what he, what you tell him to do. But now that he hasn't, you're going to walk away and look at me and go, okay, even though his drinking is not your responsibility, you need to fix this. Hmm. So they, So this is what they did. They sat down and gave me a list and said, if he continues to drink, he'll go through DTs. You need sugar, and you need honey, and you need orange juice. Now hmm. I'm 14, I went, what? Yeah. And they walked me through what to do if he started to have the DTs. And it freaked me out. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
you're telling me that my father is going to go through convulsions because he drank alcohol? Hmm. So let's rewind now. So that's all the way, the end result of what AA had done, in my opinion. At the very end, that's what the glory was. And yeah. as a child, it was all about his sobriety to the point that, and I don't mean to paint a bad picture of either one of my parents, but it's the fact. And mm-hmm. before they passed, we came to terms with all of this. So I don't feel like it's a therapy session that's unnecessary. It's right, the right. truth. Yeah. There was a birthday, I think it was my ninth birthday, that he happened to forget to get a cake or do any sort of acknowledgement of my birthday. But we didn't miss, in those nine years, his cake. Oh, my God. That was was always pivotal to me. That Mm -hmm. That was like the biggest thing in my head, like, wow, okay, so I have to remember the last day that you drank or the first day that you didn't. But you can't remember the day that I took my first breath. Wow. That, yeah. So I had a lot of hatred towards AA. To me, it was like this: my dad has been sucked into a false religious cult of crap. And I knew that at eight. I mean, I was just like, it doesn't. I, when we when I go to those Alateen meetings, because there was a level of it that being an eight-year-old, you're kind of forced to do whatever your parent wants you to do. I would sit there, and at one point in time, I was just silent, and everybody was, that's the angry young poet. I mean, at eight. And it was like, no, I don't believe in your crap. Hmm. I didn't didn't help my dad drink. I'm not going to help my dad be sober. I don't have to be a part of this. It has nothing to do with who I am. If if his drinking isn't because of me, then his sobriety isn't because of me. Well, when did he pass? My father passed in 94, and he passed a moderately using alcoholic as he liked to say it i didn't think he was an alcoholic right um, so he moder- moderately used i don't either i don't use the word anymore i say alcohol overuse and drug overuse because i really right. want to change the whole i mean they've hijacked many of our words you know one being sober the next one alcoholic which they coined right so he he drank again he was a, it, he was a drinker yeah on and off until mm-hmm. he died he 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 died sober, and he, it was something that he was glad about. I know he was. Mm-hmm. But he was a binge drinker, so my dad couldn't really do moderation. Mm-hmm. He had a definite issue with not being able to sit down and have a glass of wine or a beer and then not have another one and not have another one, and he would binge. I mean, I don't mean for overnight. I mean, he'd binge on days, mm-hmm. and then he'd not drink for a while, and then he'd binge for days. So he knew that he didn't have... In his mind, he didn't have the ability, but honestly, I really believe that it was that he was trained to believe that he couldn't just sit down and have a uh, have a drink. Mm-hmm. That it was so demonized in his mind that he couldn't just enjoy a glass of wine because, oh my God, if you drink one, then you have no self control and you're going to drink until you can't drink anymore. But there's also, I mean, you know, and I'm kind of having this debate with a lot of people. Not really a debate, but a discussion that. If you believe all that stuff, it's certainly not going to happen. We all know, if, you know, if even somebody like your father, if somebody were given a lot of therapy and deprogrammed AA thinking, exactly. and then yes. given tools that they use in harm reduction and in moderation, would it be possible? And my absolutely, you know, in my I guessing, that. I would guess that there's a certain percentage who can't, and then there might be, but it's going to be a much smaller percentage. Who who may may not be able to, and partly because they don't want to, they don't want to moderate. They don't. Mm-hmm. They would say, well, I, and I've heard people say this. Well, I don't. Want, I wouldn't want to have one, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'd rather have none. It's almost like me when I have coffee. If I can't have half and half, and the right kind of brown raw sugar in it, <laughs> I don't want to have it. You're not gonna drink it. it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and, and I, and I do believe snob, that. You know. So I mean, it's it's then it's a choice. Then it is a choice. It is. Right, and and I think that if he had gone through, I think honestly, in my opinion, if if it had been looked at differently, if my father, when he decided that he couldn't handle being a drinker, had gone, this is a symptom to a problem that I have that I need to go investigate why I feel the need to do this, it would have been a different story for him. But because mm-hmm. that was his first taste of some form of self-realization and and talking about his childhood. He had a very, very traumatic childhood. Mm. I think that if he had gone the therapeutic route, yeah, um, it would have been a very different story for him. He knew something, mm. though, because mm. I've been through therapy, 
and it was with his blessings to go through therapy. So there's a part of him that knew. I know there was because he stopped going to meetings and he stopped believing in what he firmly for years thought saved his life because he, in, in, in the final couple of years of his life and talking about it, he's like, I don't have self-control over this, but it's not this that made me not have the self-control. Mm. I just don't have self-control. Oh, he doesn't have any. Wow. So that's, that's a serious thing. So, Belief system or core belief, like I took a Tony Robbins three-day workshop uh, as I was, I think I had left or I was, le- and I think I had left already. And uh, it was interesting because he talked about these core beliefs, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I had already un- uncored my belief. I had already like plucked it and threw it out the window that I was an alcoholic ever. You know I was like I don't think so, and I'm not. My mm-hmm. sons were like, Why do you call yourself that? You haven't had a drink for so many years they used to say to me and I didn't really have an answer for that and um but I, with your dad it's sort of like um I mean I think that's what's important is to hear what a, a child how a child sees it and how self-absorbed they are and how yes. selfish they are and how they really don't get better in certain areas if you're just addicted to meetings and you exactly. make them right you make the meeting Right, so uh, it replaces his his sobriety, and I don't mean his sobriety because I never felt like he owned it. His AA sobriety replaced his alcoholic addiction. I mean, that's how I always worded it. And when I went through therapy, I realized why. And 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 it's sad, but I had the same similar type of issues that adult children of alcoholics and all of that had, but it was with a sober parent because wow. it was the same effect except mm. that it was an effect with his sobriety not with his alcoholism mm. so i still had self-esteem issues and self-worth issues and and um uh the feeling of of constantly having to get uh the person that i'm with better or fix them or they're more important and he was sober where did you find a therapist who wasn't a 12-stepper um funny enough that you say that and this is why at that party it was such a big deal i actually asked and the true therapy that I went through was I went through psychoanalysis. And Mm -hmm. the first thing I asked was, um, are you in AA? Mm -hmm. And he kind of cocked his head. He was an older gentleman. And I said, because I have issues with AA and I don't want that a part of my therapy. Because I went in thinking, I'm not going to talk about that. Wow. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, you know, this is about figuring out you, not how to fix your dad or how to fix what your dad possibly did to you. It's how to fix you. Um. And then I, you know, passive and aggressively went through and did that with my kids. I was like, I don't want, I want this pattern to end now. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the the feeling of being a child with somebody in AA, I think, is a perspective that's a very different one because there is that feeling of, of zero self-worth and that feeling of knowing that no matter what's going on in your life, if that person needs to go be with their cult, that's going to win, just like if that person needs to go drink. That's going to win, and that's well, they, how I always yeah. interpret. I mean, any cult tells you to leave your family behind, Scientology mm-hmm. or any other religious cult. States. Uh, so, did you feel like uh, did they tell him? Were you aware of that uh, that they were his family? That they understood him where the normal normies oh, yeah. can't understand. Yeah. That we know. I mean, I heard this numerous times from his own sponsor. I know you love your daughter, but your daughter's a normie. I mean, talk about trying to put a wedge there. Is he still alive, that man? I don't think so. I don't think he is. Um, uh, He didn't show up for his funeral either. Wow. Or his memorial service. I know. Interesting, huh? But he wasn't in AA when he died. So all these people that that were around my father, um, when he died, he hadn't gone to a meeting in three or four years. Mm -hmm. So they didn't stay in touch with him. He wasn't a part of that family anymore. But, yeah, I mean, there was definitely a separation. How many years did it, did you go to therapy for, or, or are you still in it right now? Oh, no, I'm done with it. I went um, uh, probably a total of about 10 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, yeah and I went for a long time. And what about your siblings? How were they affected by this as well? Very differently. It, it's interesting the way I have a brother that had a chemical addiction his whole life mm-hmm. and has kind of tried to separate the idea that it's 
something that's beyond his control or that it's a it's a he never believed it was a disease. Yeah. Um he always has said it's self indulgent and it's a way that I, I uh I get through the stuff that's in my head. Good for him. I mean not good for him that that's what he's does I know but you know mm, But he wow. owns it. <laughs> he owns it. It's his own issue, it's his own deal. And he said from the moment that he realized that every time that he smoked a pipe or every time that he did anything, it was because he chose to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made the attraction of that a little less mm-hmm. because it was a conscious decision to do it. And then I have another brother that was an overachiever, is an overachiever, um, and uh, neither neither one of them had been through any intense therapy. And then the sister that I have was, that she's a different type of case. She had had an accident at two years old and she became borderline retarded. Mm. And so her issues were compiled with all the things that were going on with everything else. She should have been my parents' main priority. And that's something that I think created a lot of the resentment that I had initially about AA because I felt like my sister Wanda was more important than anything that my parents were going through. And she has just recently, it's been a year that she passed away. Oh, wow. So, and she went through a lot of therapy. Um, and then I have two older sisters that are my half-sisters that weren't really a part of the scene. So mm-hmm. I don't know how intense or what type of effect that, that had, the AA side of it had on them. But for me, the, my brothers and I, there's definitely a feeling of, you know, mm, sounds awfully religious. <laughs> and if it's yeah. medical, there's nobody with a doctor degree talking to us about it. Um, right, you know, I just was posted. Somebody posted something on Orange Papers about a Clancy I from the Pacific Group giving a talk about uh, people who, you know, we won't sponsor people who are on uh, psych medications or antidepressants. And the insanity. I, I think the wave is coming, though, that people will be sued for practicing medicine. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I still have my fantasies of going into a meeting. Well, I guess we we can get to it after Mother's Day or so, but where. You know, I kind of warn them and say, hey, man, like, it's really none of your business. It's none of your business whether somebody takes a Vicodin for pain or whether Mm -hmm. they're on an antidepressant, whether they take a Xanax, whether they smoke pot for anxiety. It's none of your fucking business. Exactly. None of their business and that they could begin. I mean, I heard they were sued. I don't have the, uh, the lawsuit in front of me to prove it, but we heard on one of the blogs last year that, there was a wrongful death suit, and uh, mm. they sued AA. Supposedly, I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, eventually, I have somebody trying to do research for me. But um, one of the things that you and I talked about before we, you know, began the show tonight, I wanted to say hi, everybody. This is Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. I'm talking to Shar. She is a a real person who was a real little girl <laughs> who was uh, growing up in Alcoholics Anonymous. It was not a positive experience. And um, one of the things that we're finding, let's talk about the difference between, now I know that there were pedophiles in AA. Absolutely. Because there was a Harper mm-hmm. article was that revealed the guy in the 19, um, I believe it was the 60s, was a major pedophile in North Hollywood of all places, mm-hmm. where that freaking Radford stupid clubhouse was. Uh-huh. But um, he ran um, an alcohol you know, place. He was a guy who practiced medicine. He didn't have a degree up in Canada. Mm-hmm. He fled Canada. He came to Southern California where you could hide from everybody because everybody yeah. doesn't say shit about anybody because everybody's allowed to do what the fuck they want here is what mm-hmm. the illusion is. And yet here in Los Angeles is one of the worst stepper cities in the country. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like the whole left mm-hmm. kind of free love and, you know, mm-hmm. we're so open-minded here. But yet, that's not the case. So I want to talk about the courts that are sending violent criminals and sex offenders, right? That and killed me. And and I have a direct knowledge of it because of my brother. And um, years ago, uh, my brother has been in and out of, uh, we always say, studying legal, uh, studying law from the inside. Mm-hmm. And always drug-related. And uh, I want to say like in, I don't know, I want to, about 1995, he uh, got out of prison again, and he was court-ordered for his parole to go to AA. Wow. And I said, or actually it was NA, and I wasn't at the release, and when he came, because he always came back to me, I was like the pseudo-parent, and I was like, Michael, I don't know if that's legal. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't study law or anything, but to me it was like, wait a minute, isn't this like saying you have to go to a Christian church on Wednesday night? Right. He's like, what? And I said, isn't AA considered a religion? Yeah, good for you. And he couldn't fight it. I mean, it was like he had to go to 22 meetings in 20 days, and then he had to prove that to his parole officer, and then he had to do 30 in 30 days. Now he's supposed to be rehabilitating himself and becoming a member of society, but he has to be addicted to going to meetings. Um, and then he's the one that told me, he's like, sure, I have to tell you something. I'm like, what? He's like, I went to this meeting down the street and this is where my, I lived with my kids. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there was a dude that I know did time for Ludax on a child at this meeting. Wow. And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, yeah, because they keep those people in prison separate. That dude was in prison where I was for doing Ludax on a child. What year was that? And I'm like, yeah, that, this was in 95. In a, in a meeting in Los Angeles? In a meeting in, in the San Fernando Valley. Wow. And I'm like, does he live near us? Well, because to me, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's that long ago. You kind of went, wait a minute. <laughs> does he live near us? That's the first thing I thought is, I have children. Mm-hmm. Does he live near us? And he's like, he's at a meeting. What? Why is he at a meeting? And I'm like, what's he at a meeting for? And he's like, I can't talk to him. That's the first time I ever heard of anyone going to AA. I don't know if he had a uh-huh. chemical problem at the time, but I'm like, is there? And, and the next question was, is there an allergy meeting in the same? Because they're always in the same place. Yeah. And I've got to have a babysitter for your kids when you go to your AA meeting. Wow. And he's like, yeah. And I said, Michael, you have to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. There's an allergy meeting there. You have to tell somebody. Because he didn't want to go to AA. I mean, he, that's the last place he wanted to go. But, you know, um, you you were right at that point. I believe that's when the Inui case from Hawaii was where the Buddhist fought it and that it was so highly religious. It was, you know, he mm-hmm. won. He won that case and sort of set a precedent here in the Ninth Circuit Court. We're in, we're, we are in, as, you know, all the other states in this Pacific region are part of it. And, I'll t- you know, I'll tell you, Char, I didn't know any of this, like, uh, three years ago. Yeah. But it is well, no, because you're not going to be told that. No, and they the other they can't. They're not supposed to send you and say go to AA because it would be like uh, saying my government is sending me to a religion for exactly. a mental health issue, for a for a health issue, or for a behavior. My government is sending me to a fucking mm-hmm. religion or a halfway know? house that's sponsored by AA. Right, you go there and it's totally living a twelve step style, and it's like, how's that going to help you, Mike? You hate AA. You're going to go into a halfway house that teaches you the 12 steps? It's bad. He's like, I just got to do my time. If I just do my time and get out of here, I'm fine. Well, that's not getting better. Mm. That's not getting him any better. He's resistant to AA. Now, I know that we're off topic, but that's part of it, which is like, wait a minute. If you know it's not, he's like, if I just do my time, then I'm done. No, who's off topic? Meaning that, you know, we started off talking about the fact that uh, we know that sex offenders are being sent to AA. We know that. We know oh. that that's not being used. But right. then on a, as a side note, to send somebody that's had a drug problem into a halfway house that's ran by a 12-step program. Oh, no. This yeah, Anything goes here like that. You know? It's one of the things I was doing research. There's a story that broke. You know, it was the story that I read that was on, it was either Expose AA or you can see it on Smart Recovery where they have the legal uh, cases that people brought, you know, that it was too religious. And so I was actually reading a very long case that happened here in the Ninth Circuit Court uh, in 2010. And then I was following the link of the rehab that they had sent. So it, it, the way that they could get, they're getting around it is by saying you need to go to this um, this treatment place. And then the treatment place, is so that's what happened to the guy. And then he got there, and it was all full of 12-step people, and people yeah. running it are steppers. So now they're telling you, well, you're in denial, and, you know, or it's it's bullshit. It's, and, and every phase of this billion-dollar industry is filled with steppers and filled with mm-hmm. religion and filled with alcoholics and narcotics anonymous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that um, one of the pieces of the film has to address a huge legal question that has yes. to be stopped, and people, the only way it's going to be stopped is because people are shitting their pants when they get a DUI, and first of all, they don't know the laws, and all the all the lawyers are in cahoots because they make money when people are scared and just give them money, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And, say, and how many lawyers are in AA? Too many. 
<laughs> because you know, I mean, they used to be heavy drinkers. Lawyers were, mm-hmm. you know, huge drinkers. Like doctors used to be big drinkers in the 30s, and that's who Bill Wilson went after originally. Were doctors, and that's who he sent his little postcards out to to sell mm-hmm. his blue book. And then it, lawyers were big, and judges were big drinkers. And now, I mean, it's the, the thing about what's well, good about. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say fast forward the story just with me and the exposure to it. I've I've never needed to go to an AA meeting for a chemical problem of mine. Mm-hmm. I've never had a chemical problem other than being addicted to cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I married somebody, and this is therapeutic. It has nothing to do with following what the path is of someone who doesn't do AA. I married somebody that had a chemical addiction. Okay, common psychology. I'm probably going to repeat the process. He ends up fast forward a little bit more, going to the Betty Ford Center. Mm. And then I go to the Betty Ford Center for the week of family week. Oh, yeah. You told me the story. Yeah, tell them this this story, yeah. So I go there. I have a breastfeeding baby, and I'm like, okay, well, i got to do this. And and because this was a part of what he needed to do, and and they they kept saying, the people that were assisting David while he was there, you know, um, this is a part of what you need to do. You need to start back up on on, um, AA. You need to start going to Al-Anon. And I'm like, what? I went, okay, whatever, I'm not doing Al-Anon meetings. Well, well, you can't come to family family group if you don't go to a couple of Al-Anon meetings. I'm like, oh, really? are you an AA program? Yeah. Really? And I'm like, I'm like, well, you need to put me on trial. You're going to tell me that I have to do something? So I went down there knowing that they were resistant to me because I'm resistant to the 12-step process. Mm-hmm. The second day of family week, the the lead supposed therapists don't know and don't think that they have ever been schooled in it, says, we can't help you. I'm like, what? We can't help you. You know way too much for us to help you. You already know all the things you're doing wrong with this person. You've been trained your whole life in AA. You need to do the right thing. We can't help you. So my response was, what are your degrees? Who is helping my husband? And how far in medicine have you been taught? What'd they say? It's a 12 It's a nothing. They, I mean, by that time, I was considered hostile, which I, if I was on that side, I wouldn't say I was a hostile bitch, too. Um, but you don't, you don't have the right to ask them if they have a degree or not, or if they went to one class that was six months long at UCLA. Yeah, he does. He mm-hmm. had the right. So I mm-hmm. looked at him and said, are you buying any of this? Because, like, he goes down there, and you have to be off of everything. You can't drink caffeine. You can't smoke cigarettes. So let's set up a path of failure anyway. Mm-hmm. You have a drug problem, and now you can't smoke, and you can't drink coffee too. So I was mm-hmm. like, how is that a recipe for success? <laughs> well, you know, one of, one of, it's, it's not. It's a recipe for disaster, as you know. Yeah. But here, here's the point that one of the bloggers, a couple of them said over a year ago, that what needs to happen besides the lawsuit that is going to happen uh, with the wrongful death is that people who, whether they're in SAG or wherever, and and Aetna Blue Cross pays for this shit, Mm -hmm. that when people start to sue Blue Cross and Blue Shield and whoever Mm -hmm. pays for this crap for $1,000 a day, and that Mm -hmm. what they get is a bunch of knuckleheads who are 12-steppers who are preaching God is the only answer to their help, that Mm -hmm. when those people start to sue and say, I want... I don't want a religion, and that Betty Ford or somebody sues Betty Ford and said, "I paid this money and I got a religion." Mm-hmm. That the world will begin to change, and it is going to happen because none it of us. It has to happen. It has to happen because there are millions and millions of people who want help, and it's not working. And both AA and NA are shrinking, and the, now mm-hmm. they can't put the lid on all the crap. And it isn't just that they're sending third-level sex offenders and violent criminals, which is hideous, and that there are children there, and that AA is now going after young people with their stupid animated cartoon on their website, mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. know in New York that they, the courts are sending these you know, horrible, horrible men to meetings, that you have mm-hmm. the old-timer who's been preying on new women and exactly. you know, the whole fucking time. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that there'd be any room for a normie at a meeting or at Betty Ford like me to look at someone who I don't care who you are, you have this God complex in your head that you know the answers to what's going to save my husband and I'm too strong for you because I'm looking at you and saying the answer is that he needs psychiatry. The answer is that if he has a depression problem, it's not because he's a 
a drug addict or an alcoholic, it's because it's a symptom to a problem that he has. Right. This is a symptom. Right. And when I, every time I said that in any of the groups, they try and shut me down. And I'm like, this is a symptom to a problem. I am not his problem. You are becoming the problem because you're not addressing <laughs> what the problem is. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, it's really, I think it's hard. I mean, uh, my father died and, you know, he hated AA and, I went, the different periods where I, I tried to help him, he was in different parts of the country. And like in Hawaii, I called up AA friends to go 12-step him, you know, and he was like, get mm-hmm. out of here. And, you know, he the same thing happened when I think he was in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. But, you know, I, I think that that part that people don't know that there is smart recovery, which mm-hmm. is growing really fast right now for abstinence-based. And truthfully, even if you didn't want to be abstinent the rest of your life, you could go benefit from those meetings. And then when you have your strength, when you have your little shit together, you move on. And then right. there's you know, SOS, which are you know, just support meetings where people don't label themselves. And it's also abstinence-based. And you have harm reduction and moderation for people who don't want to be abstinent and women for sobriety. And then there's, I think that's it. I'm missing one of them. But... It's you know, very and, important because yeah. as a child, I was a, I was afraid. I mean, I was taught from the time I was six until I, and, and, and even though as a kid I was resistant and I knew what the truth was, and that wasn't the ring of truth, there was still that fear in me. Like the first time I ever took a drink, mm. I was scared to death of it. Like I'm out with my friends and they're all partying. I'm like, man, do I do this? I mean, because right. Hereditary to be an alcoholic, you know. And, oh yeah, what uh, about it, that lie, right? Yeah. I mean, that's I was told. I told my kids that. What well, was horrible? Such oh my god! I, well, I think that's half the problem. My brother has is that he believed because he went over the edge. He was a teenager living in a screwed up family, and he and he acted out and he had issues. And I'm positive that he, if he hadn't been told and programmed during his childhood that we were, you know, that. It's almost like being, because I don't, I don't belong to a religion, it's almost like being told you're born in sin. Well, you're born to be an alcoholic. Well, thanks. Because if you tell me I'm born to do the World Series, yeah, I'm really. great at baseball. Oh, my so thanks God. Thanks for telling me that I'm great at drinking. Right. That's really nuts. I mean, th- that is the part that's in Chapter 5. You know, it says uh, we, were, you know, we were born that way. We were naturally mm-hmm. incapable of grasping in a, a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. It's like... Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? You born that mm-hmm. way? It's like, no, you weren't born that way, right? And I just mean, because you, I mean, the, that's the part that, and I think, honestly, it was due to the fact that I was my retarded sister's caretaker, that I'd look at them and go, does that mean she's an alcoholic? Mm. <laughs> how, how does it work? <laughs> Is that the exception to the rule because she's never going to want to take a drink? That she's not one? Don't tell me I'm an alcoholic at 14 years old. Wow. So at what age were you taking this first drink at with your friends? Um, first time I ever got, like, horribly drunk, and thank God I got sicker than a dog, I was 13. Mm-hmm. I was 13. It was a parent party, and I drank and threw up all over their bathroom. I was humiliated that I threw up and um, oh. didn't like the way I felt and said, if I ever drink again, I just want to know what it feels like to be kind of drunk. I don't want to know what it feels like to be you know, blacked out crazy. Right, right. And I um, enjoy alcohol today. I yeah. don't have issues or guilt about it. I love the way wine tastes, and I'm becoming a beer connoisseur in my old age, and mm-hmm. um, I've never had an issue with it, and it wasn't out of denial or defiance. It was because it wasn't, I could trust myself, and I wasn't going to listen to the garbage that my dad fell under, which was, you can't trust who you are. It's like, yeah, you can so being the person that you are living in, in a, a city that's really infested with 12-steppers, how often do you come across somebody who is one, and what's that like for you? Well, the the man in my life has a lot of, as you know, industry parties, and it's interesting when you meet somebody that doesn't drink because they, if I'm not drinking, the first thing that a 12-stepper assumes is that I'm a 12-stepper, that I'm a friend of Bill W.'s. <laughs> So, you know, there I am with my club soda and lemon, and it's not an assumption that I'm going to drive the car. Mm-hmm. It's the assumption that I'm a friend of Bill W. Mm. I try to never take anything that I've gone through and cause harm. So I try to never approach it with, well, you're an idiot. Um, but inside I know that I, I, I try really hard to hide that. But the way I deal with it is this, which is 
if they talk about it and they say it saved my life and I love it, I ask them certain things. And it, uh, the first thing I ask is, how long have you been sober? And how many people do you sponsor? Because generally when I meet someone that's five years sober, they're sponsoring. Mm-hmm. And I just look at them and go, you're responsible for those people's lives in that environment. You know that. That that you're making or breaking someone, which I don't think is fair. That usually ends the conversation for someone that's a true 12, you know, that believes wholeheartedly in their cult. Wow. And it stops the conversation dead. They don't want to talk to me anymore. It, so most that, of the time, I yeah. mean, like when you and I started talking, I would have never opened up to you had you not opened the door to what it was that you were saying. Yeah. So try, I mean, I want to believe that everybody has a right, and I do believe it, to find it in themselves I, and whatever it is that path they're on. But I also don't want it thrown in my face, and I don't want – my experience was mine. I had a horrible experience with it. I'm positive I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, so I just deal with it like that. I don't, I've never had anyone get angry and yell and scream at me other than one person, and it's somebody that we both know. Mm-hmm. And. She was really upset over this, really, mm-hmm. really upset, because she believes wholeheartedly that AA saved her life, and she hasn't had a drink in, I don't know, 400 years, and I don't even know if she was an alcoholic. She went to AA in her 20s. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a normie, I'm treated like a normie about it. Well, you don't understand because you've never been there. And I just think, yeah, but I was passively there, honey. <laughs> Wow, and, and with all that you know, what is the of all the issues we've talked about and issues that you know I'm addressing in the film, what are the issues for you that you're most passionate about? I think the main one, uh, because I have adult daughters, is that I cannot stand that uh, that people are being preyed upon. I hate that. I, mm-hmm. I it, it it keeps me up at night to know that these poor women that are so vulnerable and men and believe mm-hmm. in their heart that this is their last-ditch effort for uh, uh, for solitude or, or redemption, and they get preyed upon, that kills me. That yeah, kills me more than anything. It's pretty bad. I'm speaking, I'm speaking yeah. to a woman who's uh, on the East Coast uh, who has a pretty horrible story. Uh, and so how, so how do we change it? Kills me. Yeah. I think our voices, I think... I think a level of consciousness needs to be raised. I think that with, uh, you know, a spoonful of sugar, that knowledge is a good thing, and we don't have to be cultified by it. <laughs> and, you know, put it out like and that. say, this is what we know. Yeah. Right. You know, this is what our knowledge is, and we're just sharing it with you, and we're not going to shove it down your throat, but you need to know. You need to have options. You need to know. We need to protect the weak. This country doesn't protect the weak. Well, no, and, and most of the people that I spoke uh, to in up in uh, Toronto at the film festival about it uh, said things like, "Wow, it's like uh, wolves to the sheep." If you send, yes. if you're telling people, in fact, some people turned to me and said this to me, uh, that if you are set up as being powerless, and that your best thinking mm-hmm. got you here, which Callie says in the clip. Um, by the way, I should have you guys over to watch the uh, short. We, we screened it. We'll have another group of you guys over to screen it. Um, and that, so you're told you're powerless. You're told your best thinking got you there. You're asked, what's your part in it? You're saying, um, we think you should be of service. It's like, what is this, a whorehouse? I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. of service to the shithead who is five years, who's 29 years old, who hasn't worked, you know, a whole year mm-hmm. and has been lived off of Cali for a year while she worked two mm-hmm. full-time jobs or one full-time job and another, you know, part-time job, um, that these people are, are then knowingly, so it's not even, uh, you have these old-timers that have been doing this forever, but uh, one of the other things is that you have then the, the real sex predators coming, knowing that I'm yeah. going to have to take Sally out for, never mind a date, no. you don't even have to go to bars anymore, just go to AA, you don't even have to buy her a fucking exactly. cup of coffee. That's disgusting. And That's then on disgusting. the side note with that, then on and then on the side note with that, outside of all of the predatory behavior on every level, and how devastating it is to look at someone and say your best thinking got you here. Yeah. Outside of that, then you have the whole other dynamic of I'm going to put my kid in that situation. Oh yeah. You know that because you believe your best thinking got you there, so then therefore you're a shitty parent. So. I relinquish my power over being a parent. 
to this cult to tell me how to be a better parent. I mean, I've, I've so, known people who brought their children there and their kids are sober now, and I know some who actually their kids haven't been to meetings in years, but I remember people coming and saying, oh, my child has a year, and I'm like, and you're fucking proud of that? I wouldn't be. Yeah. And, that, and that, I felt that way before I had really uncovered all this stuff. I, one of the things that uh, Gunther wrote here in the chat room is that they tell you to keep an open mind, yeah, but they don't have an open mind. You know, no. anybody who thinks that a book written in the 1930s by one dude who is as crazy and as depressed and as fucked up as Bill Wilson, and you don't think you need to write a new book, that book, I, there, was a guy, there was a video on Stinkin' Thinkin' a couple of years ago where a guy was, like, shooting his big book <laughs> with a <gun>. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny part was is eventually my dad used his big book as the doorstopper. Oh, really? <laughs> that, to me, was the best metaphor in his life. He wow. put it next to the door to keep the door open. <laughs> because... He felt, I mean, it's like the last year of his life, he didn't know he was going to die. The last year of his life, he made amends with everyone. Made amends. Hey, there it is. Mm -hmm. um, by saying, I, I'm sorry, I did the best I could with what I knew how. And then for a long time, I was told that what I knew how to do wasn't good enough. Wow. And I'm like, all I care about is that you know it now. Is that in your life, you know it today. That you were misguided and that, you know, we love you no matter what. And... We want you to love you no matter what. That's what this is about. And then, you know, it's like you said, I can't believe that I was convinced that you were going to be an alcoholic. And I said, well, it makes sense, Dad. You had a lot of people telling you that. Mm -hmm. You know this as a parent and going, mm -hmm. i gotta be, I got to be careful for my kids. It's the fear. It's the, it's the parent and you going, i got to protect you. I don't mm -hmm. want you to go through what I went through. I just think it's a horrible philosophy that, because I, I've been anti-religion most of my life. I believe in God and I believe in spirit. Mm -hmm. But it's a religion that needs to be put to rest because <laughs> it's harmful. Amy, it's harmful. Amy Lecoy wrote, she's, it is very harmful. It says, I've thrown out so many big books long before I took environmental science. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think if you haven't listened to them, Gunther and I have done, I think, three shows now on tearing up the big book and the literature, and they're pretty mm -hmm. funny. You might enjoy them. But one of, each time we do them, and Gunther, if you can hear me, we need to do another one because we only got to the last one. It, we got to maybe like the third page into Chapter 5. That's how <laughs> much negative stuff and it, it the first like i'm opening up the book now um because some of them um the part where it says they're not a fault they seem to have been born that way it's like right now you're just telling them people that are and the line previous says that you were constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself you're yeah. such unfortunate you're not a fault you've been born that way it's like fuck you haven't been born that way and then it says exactly here it here it repeats it and they say this as you know at every meeting they are naturally yeah. incapable naturally incapable of grasping and mm -hmm. developing a manner of living he's repeating himself which demands rigorous honesty it says nobody is naturally incapable either you're a sociopath or you're not mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. it says uh i mean it's just the um it, it really uh, let me see here. I'm not going to read any more, but just those lines. But it's the you know, philosophy of tearing you down yeah. and telling you that you're shit and then having a bunch of people who aren't qualified to fill in the holes is a crock of crap. I, You know, they're filling in holes, they, and I always go back to my dad. They filled in his holes with their own shit. Mm. It had nothing to do with any organized anything. It had to do with, I'm better than you because I'll always be sober longer than you. <laughs> Like, wow. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely am a, a, a hater of it, but in, in the right way, which is we're going to use words and knowledge and elevate consciousness to end this. You know, like I said earlier, you end a pattern. We're going to end the pattern of this horrible destruction of human psyche and, and let people be people. Yes, not, I, not. I, I like that. It did changing yeah. all the words. We have about a minute left. I want to thank Char for calling in, for telling us her story of what it was like uh, growing up uh, in the culture of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to thank everybody out there for joining us. As Gunther is in the chat room, and Amy Lee is in the in the chat room, and there were numerous other people that are in there. And honestly, anonymously. I'm Monica Richardson. This is Blog Talk Radio and Safe Recovery. 
We'll be back next week with another live show. Remember, blog away, deprogram, spread the word, and let everybody know that there's six other free face-to-face online support groups that are non-12-step. Okay, everybody, I will see you next week. And goodbye, Shar. We'll go to Bye. dinner Thank soon. Bye, thank you. Yeah. Okay. All right, Bye. thank you, and take care. Okay, good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.